This episode is brought to you by Creative Edge. Creative Edge specializes in getting exposure for independent artists, writers, and authors. They also specialize in arranging book signings, school or library events, or other functions pertaining to the arts. If you are interested in seeing what they can do for you, visit them at creative-edge.com. Welcome to In the Mouth of Monster. I'm your host, Monster Dugan, and with me today in the lair is my co-host, John Schatzer. How you I'll doing know. today, sir? Ah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to make it through the show. I might die part way, but I'll die happy. I've been, uh, for those of you who don't know what a county fair is, I live out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so county fairs is a big deal. You bring a bunch of nausea-inducing carnival rides. We have a bunch of sketchy carnies. And they don't mind it because if you if you call them a sketchy carny, they're proud of it. Then you eat a bunch of food that you shouldn't eat because here in the Midwest, we have embraced the idea that you can fry anything. Sketchy food, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> so, but, but we 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 went we went even further. Uh, I got something called a a pork parfait. Have you ever seen like have you ever like a parfait like an ice cream dish? Oh yeah. Yeah. Same concept, except here's how we do it in the Midwest. You take a bucket, the bottom layer is mashed potatoes, and then you melt a buttload of cheddar cheese on top of the mashed potatoes, right? And then you cover that that cheese with a bunch of bacon, and then <laughs> you top it all off, all, top the bacon off with a whole pile of pulled pork, and then you dollop a nice big blob of uh sour cream on top of that and then you walk around in 90 degree heat with the lots of humidity smelling all the the poop from all the critters because we also have everything going on and (laughs) and you eat it and the best part about how we do things where i live is the booths for all the pulled pork and the pork lines and and the pork parfait all those food booths are sitting right next to the to the pig barn so you can hear the pigs squealing while you're eating their relatives <laughs> that's that's how we roll yeah. if it sounds horrifying it is but it is also quite tasty <laughs> but like I, may, hell, I might just drop yeah. dead from the food dude it's it was a lot yeah it sounds like a coma you might you might drop into a coma after eating that yeah. uh, in a bucket huh bucket i mean that's like how, how big is the bucket <laughs> yeah, big enough big, i'm a large man and i found it challenging um <laughs> But, you know, we also fry That's everything. We've got, we've got fried ice cream, fried Oreos, fried Twinkies, fried corn. We fry corn. Is it good? I've never had yeah, that. Yeah, it's all good. Everything's good. Everything's good fried, dude. And on a I, mean, I love fried. Yeah, I love fried everything, but yeah. We, 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 we can, here, here in Ohio, where I'm from, we can put anything on a stick, and then we can fry the hell out of it. Trust me. Do they have like fried pickles and fried mushrooms? Hell yeah, dude! We got a whole giant that, and I'm using air quotes here. Terrible podcaster, but ooh, we have the healthy option at the <laughs> vegetable vendor, and you go up and you can order a big giant pile of vegetables. All that shit's deep fried and, and smothered in ranch dressing. Because you know what? You're probably gonna get food poisoning anyway. It's the fair, so fuck it. Yeah. Well, I did want to say I had something cool going on, too, just recently. 
So I'm going to go ahead and announce it here first off. And of course, this usually these episodes don't come out to about a week after we're done recording it. So I've been working with a publisher, Redicate Publishing, who does a lot of my stories and um, accepts a lot of my submissions into their lineups they have going on, like the A, a through Z of horror. So I'm going to go ahead and announce I have my own official book coming out uh, here in October. We're working on putting it together right now. We got the cover in the works. Um, a buddy of mine's drawing it up. Uh, Joe Germo, actually the tattoo artist here, that's going to be on our next segment, The Average Joe Report. He's uh, actually uh, helping us do the cover. And so I'm going to have my own book coming out here pretty soon, probably mid-October. So look to purchase that. There's a couple of Halloween stories in it. So that's a perfect book to pick up for, you know, the season. And uh, it's, it's called Monsters in the Dark is the title of the book. So basically all the stories in it except for one are all monster stories, which, you know, for Halloween, that's another great uh, addition because now you can just buy that book and, you know, read the, all the monster stories to your friends for Halloween and scare the crap out of them. So anyways, I wanted to announce that and just let people know that that's going to be out. Um, you can find it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. It'll be dropping probably second or third week of October. Uh, we haven't buffered that out yet as we're still putting the stories together and the cover art and all that good stuff. Are they sexy monsters? Uh, no, but there is sex in uh, one story, at least, or a little bit of, of some 20-somethings doing some uh, heavy petting on a beach and stuff. So hey, there's a little bit of that. <laughs> Okay, because I especially am fond of sexy monsters. Yeah, I don't know how sexy the monsters I make are, man. They're pretty uh, atrocious and uh, hideous, so. <laughs> well, well, the next time, watch that movie in Seminoid and then make a sexy monster story. Okay, yeah, I'll check that out. So, enough <laughs> of our shenanigans here. Well, we're going to take a break real quick, and we're going to head into our Video Deadly segment, where we have a film to review today that was sent to us by a really talented filmmaker. So we're going to take a break real quick, and we'll be right back. All they wanted was a party. Better be worth it. This place is a playground. But within these walls is a hunting ground. And if they want to survive the night, do not engage. They'll have to fight. Force to fear. It's kill or be killed. at the In the Mouth of Monster podcast, heading into our Video Deadly segment here. Normally, we review something somebody sent to us or something new or old. And today, we have a film that was sent to us by Zane Hirschberg. Burger, yep. Those of you yeah. out there who are smart may know him from working on one of the best independent movies ever made, The Barn. The Barn. Oh, yeah, I love that. It's one of my favorite Halloween films to talk about, which um, on the last year's Halloween special... I can't remember if it was part one or part two, but we talked about that, um, about the barn. And yeah, that's what I love that film, especially for Halloween films. It, it has almost every aspect of Halloween in that film itself. However, this was directed by Chad Burns as well, who uh, stars in the in the film. And the film is Forced to Fear, as I kind of buried the lead there a little bit. Forced to Fear is a 2020 uh, film. 
And it's an action thriller. I guess it has some elements of horror in it, but it's not necessarily a horror movie. It's more of an action. Uh, well, movie. I, I, I got to say, it's like a weird mashup, in my opinion, of a, a horror movie. Yeah. Slasher movie and an action movie. That's what it really is. Kind of a slasher action movie, which never seen one of them before. So let me read the synopsis here. It says, uh, two kidnappers, a dealer, a group of college college kids, and a killer converge in an abandoned school. Once they cross paths, chaos ensues, and it's a race to survive the night. This thing is action-packed, let me just say. There are fight scenes, like, basically the entire film is one giant fight scene. Which, for me, I really enjoy that, because I love martial arts, as though, for those who are listening you know, should know that I do martial arts myself. I study at M3 Karate out here in uh, Higley, Arizona. But I thought it was a fantastic film, man. It's, it, I've, I, yeah, I've never seen anything like this. I don't know. It's, like you said, it was a mashup of stuff. It's it just, I don't know, it was a lot of fun. And the acting is hit or miss in some areas, but for the most part, I really enjoyed the acting. I liked the, the two females that they had in it, the main two that have a kind of a showdown towards the end of the thing. I thought they were just fantastic. So what'd you think about it, John? All right. So I'm going to start right here because anybody listening to this podcast, you need to have your hand on the pause button and listen to me real quick. I'm going to spoil the fuck out of this movie. And I do not want to ruin it for you because I will say this. This is by far the best movie I've been asked to cover for the show. Yes, we're only five episodes in, but this is a great flick. So if you don't want it spoiled, Pause this some bitch right now. So I'm going to give you a couple seconds here while we wait for you to pause the damn thing, okay? Because if you don't pause the damn thing, then it's on you because I warned you before I spoiled it. See how I'm drawing this out? This professional podcasting right here, people. This film, I don't know. Is this, um, I don't even know if this is out for sale yet or if it's just hitting the film festival circuit. I think it's hitting the um, festival circuit. So. Yeah, because it, um, it's, it's, it says 2020 on IMDb as the film, but uh, it didn't uh, have a release date until July 20, uh, 2021, just recently. So yeah. it's only been out a little bit ago. And the reason I heard of it was because Maddie, our co host on the Shitty Shark Show podcast, which you guys got to go over there and check that out if you haven't checked that out. She uh, mentioned it was her favorite indie film of the year so far. And so when I saw Zane posting about it, I hit him up and was like, hey, we want to review that for the podcast. And of course, he sent it right over. So but go ahead. Yeah, this is a crazy freaking movie. Here's a setup. You you did the official synopsis, but here's a setup. You got a drug dealer tied to a chair by a, a couple of cops because he was screwing one of the cops wife hooks her up on drugs and left her to die when she overdosed. So he had the husband cop beating on the drug dealer who ends up being basically the only decent human being in the movie, the right. drug dealer. Right? Right. So, so he's beating the crap out of them when some kids show up in a Jeep for what you would expect if you were watching an 80s slasher movie for a party. They're going to find an abandoned place to party. It happens to be the abandoned place where they, they're beating on the, the drug dealer. Right? So... That's obviously, I'm sitting here watching this going, all right, so we're going to have a cops versus kids, you know, sort of a, a warriors, not warriors, I shouldn't say warriors, but like that kind of like, like action movie. Um, but turns out there's a killer in the, in the place too. So there's like this slasher in the place. Yeah. Which was pretty badass. I thought he was pretty Which bad. is pretty badass. I'm like, okay, cool. There's a twist. But here's, here's where it gets me. 
all of a sudden the damn kids get jumped by the cop and the kids kick his ass because they're armed to the teeth and all combat ready because they're 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 basically using themselves as bait for the killer and because they think the killer's (laughs) a rapist because yeah. one of them has a secret agenda, but it turns out they're like these vigilantes that go after people that the law can't get. So they're not really kids. They're like sort of a vigilante force. And yeah. you've got the cop running around. you got the drug dealer that they find and rescue. you got the vigilantes. And honestly, you have what appears to be a very confused killer going, well, what the hell is going on? Why do people have guns? And yeah, why are people showing up like a lot of people? Yeah, why, are they, why are they beating the hell out of me? I'm the killer. This movie's nuts. This movie is every time you think you have it figured out, they pull the rug out from under you. Yeah, but it doesn't feel forced. It's a really clever. Uh, again, it's a really clever mashup of an action movie and a slasher flick. And I do say I actually I have seen one of those before. Um, what is it? Silent Rage from Chuck Norris. Where it's basically Chuck Norris versus an unstoppable killing machine. But this movie is still great. It's got a really fun 80s vibe that they established with lots of neon, a really cool synth soundtrack. Hairdos. (laughs) Hairdos. Even though though it's not set in the 80s, because you can tell from the vehicles that it's not an 80s movie, not trying to be set in the 80s, but it's got that 80s vibe to it, which I dig. You get some good kills on a budget. See, these are these are not huge budget kills, but these are decent kills. Uh, an arrow to the face, a knife through the neck coming out of the mouth, which is actually the best one. Um, some brains hitting the wall as somebody gets shot, somebody gets garroted, somebody gets beat to death, which is nuts. Uh, you get a cinder block yeah, to the knock. And actually, my yeah. favorite gag is not technically a kill, but it's, it's uh, somebody escapes from a set of handcuffs in a very gruesome way. Yeah, that was actually pretty cool. I thought yeah. there was a way she could, uh, I shouldn't say, uh, but there was a way that they that, that, that character could have went about it a different way and not done exactly that and got out of it still, but I like the way um, they did that. You, you actually could not have gotten those. If those are real, if those are supposed to be real police cuffs, you can shoot them and they won't come apart. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, no. You can actually shoot those co- those cuffs and they won't, they, they just won't cut loose. So the way she did it, hey, somebody did the research. The way she did it was the only way she could have. But this is, you know, I was expecting a typical kids versus criminals. And it's not what we got. And it's really cool. Uh, you said the, the action is nonstop. It does stop here and there for some character development. But they don't spend a lot of time on it. But it's just enough that you actually know who everybody is. Yeah. So it's a very well-written movie. And I don't know if I've beaten that horse to death on this show but anybody's listening to anything else that I've ever done, independent filmmakers, the one thing that is not limited by your budget is having some good writing. Is have your yep. story set so you know what the hell you're doing. And they had a story. They knew what they wanted to do. They shot it. They didn't try to pad it out. This is a very tight 80 minutes long with about seven minutes end credits. So it's basically like 73 minutes long. There's not a slow spot in it, and and they just hammer away at it, which is really good. And I, I want to say the fight scenes are fantastic. The sequences the court- are really – there's a couple of awkward spots, but for the most part, they've done an amazing job. Yeah, the choreographing was really well done because, like I said, me being a martial artist, I know, you know, I was able to 
to basically look at everything they do. You know, one of the things I did have a, uh, an issue with, though, with, in those fight scenes was there was a lot of back elbows to the heads, which in real life, it doesn't happen. So I don't know how they kept getting spun around where their back is facing their opponent and they have to throw a back elbow. But uh, <laughs> So I just want to be a little picky on that. But for the most part, those scenes... For the most part, those scenes were choreographed extremely well, and it's hard to do on it for an independent film like this, especially, you know, on a budget, you know, that's not that high to be able to have these choreographed as far, scenes as far like as that. realism goes, though, dude, I mean, they shoot a guy in the face with a shotgun and it doesn't kill him. Well, yeah, but the fight scenes are, are realistic fight yeah, scenes. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I do love the look of the killer in the body armor because it's not like I'm not Jason. You can't okay. kill me. No, it's like it's a dude. I'm trying to kill people. I'm going to protect myself with this body armor. And it also makes me look really creepy and scary. Why did he ditch the homemade nail gun? I don't know. Because yeah, he had a long yeah, had a whole setup like, scene. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is going to be cool. But he yeah. did, so maybe some maybe it was an effect that didn't work, and they just had it. They used to use it the one time. I don't know. But but basically, this is this is quality independent film. You know, I I've, I know I've been a bit of a turd with some of the movies we've covered here, and I get really and I get picky, and I was picky on this one. And really, it's tight. Oh, and the location is awesome. That's actually a haunted house out in Pittsburgh area where they shot it. Really. Yeah, so they, so they had the location. So he, he I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that they, the writers who are also the directors, they knew their location they had, they knew the cast they were going to have, they knew where their skill set was. So they wrote a script that was tight, had great characters, had cool twists, and fit the location they had. They did everything right. It was just, I don't know what, I'll, I don't know what else I can say. This is. I agree with Maddie. This is one of the best independent films and uh, will probably go on my top 10 list of the year. It might get bumped, but it's definitely going to be an honorable mention. Uh, but it's a, it's a really good movie. This is a yeah, really good movie. Yeah, I agree. It's one of the best I've seen this year so far as well. I mean, it, it, the execution is just fantastic. I mean, oh. they really, he really went detailed oriented and, and stuff and the, and, you know, he hasn't directed many films, and, and nope. as far as I know, he's only done a couple of short films yeah. and I think one, one or two other features. So I thought this was really fantastic. You know, basically, Zane, you know, yeah. introduction. So. Zane is a is a cinematographer, and I, I wanted to also yeah. say this is in my notes. This movie's beautiful. You got a lot oh, of yeah. neons, a lot of crazy colors. It's it's a pretty movie. It's visually interesting yeah. as well as everything else. I mean. I, I can't complain about lighting, acting. I can't complain about anything with this movie. Yeah, but but yeah, I thought really the this camera is work, stunning. Yeah, that camera work reminded me of when we uh, reviewed Beyond Dark Dreams and how we were uh, praising that for its camera work. This reminded me of that as well. I thought the camera work was was just phenomenal in this. The lighting and the shadows and and like I said, the costumes were fantastic. Uh, the acting, although it was a little hit or miss here and there, for the most part, it was totally believable. And my thing about some of the acting, especially in indie films, is like a lot of times the, the actor doesn't believe the character. They, they don't embody the character they're playing. They're just playing a character. So it comes off like that on the screen. You have to really 
be the character for it not to look like you're trying to act as this character, which is what they did really well in this in this uh, film. They were all their actual characters. None of them felt like they were forcing, you know, but I mean, most of it is they're vigilantes kind of essentially, and they're all fighting. So, I mean, that makes it a little bit easier when you don't have as much dialogue to digest and put out. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was a great film. You know, we totally uh, forgot something. We that? forgot Ghost Wife. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a fucking ghost in this movie. Why? Yeah. Which Why didn't make any not? sense. And I was like, what the hell? But then, yeah, I, I don't know. I Yeah, the, it was fine for me. I mean, you know. Yeah, because yeah, I thought the same thing when it first happened. I go, really? I go, now we're having a ghost in this? I go, what? But yeah. it worked. So yeah, It all worked. It, all, it moved the narrative along. And they don't linger on anything too long. It's just, it, it's a solid movie. Just, yeah, the editing, the pacing is just great pacing especially i mean that thing just flew by like next thing i knew it was over and i'm like wait a minute do i watch the whole thing and like really yeah i, I think uh, at some i think at some point here in the future we're gonna have to have zane come on the show here and we'll talk uh the barn and and uh force to fear and stuff so i'll get him on the podcast sometime in this next year coming here he did, he did a 1031 singer right yeah he did for part one and part two of the 1031 yeah, yeah 1031 those are great well i've not seen part two yet but part one is, is the first one. And, and actually, I think if I'm remembering correctly, one of the actresses from this movie was in his was in his segment. So, yeah, yeah, good times. I think I think the one I think it's the the woman who had, well, the unfortunate finger person. Yeah, she was she was in his 1031 segment, Trespassers. Yeah, she's she was great. I really liked her. I thought she was yeah, fantastic lead in this space because she's basically the lead of the of the movie. Sable so. Great Greedell, I think that's the actress's name. So yeah, it, I got nothing bad to say, and when I have nothing bad to say, that's unusual. Yeah, yeah, me as well. I mean, I in indie, there's always things you can pick out, and I have to say that they, from top to bottom, this film is is a solid watch. I mean, they just they really paid attention to detail and and. They they pumped out something really you know successful and significant here so I, I like that. Enjoy. There's a crew of filmmakers in Pittsburgh right now. Zane is one of them. They're they're making these movies. You know, 10:31, um, The Barn. Now I add Force to Fear to that. There's a group. There's something special happening. Yeah. Um, and let's not forget, uh, um, Steve Rudinsky is also from the Pittsburgh area. So oh, yeah. there's there's this. Um, I'm, it's really interesting to see because I'm close enough and I'm, I'm knowing and, and to be on now to guys, to be honest, I met Zane. I've talked to Zane at, at, at gross fest. I love the barn. So I, I was already sort of excited to check this out, but there's this group of people right out there and some, there's some fucking magic happening. There's, there's going to be some cool yeah. shit coming out of Pittsburgh again. Well, and I want to say since, um, you know, on our last episode, we re- we interviewed Steve Rosinski, and he has since dropped Cares Hell 2, or Cares yes. Hell the Second, as is actually called. And he, he recently dropped that um, a couple of days ago, so that's out right now. So anybody who's uh, looking looking to watch that, go um, check it out right now. You can, like he said before, you can find it on stevebuster.com, or you can just go purchase a, um, a copy of it from um, Silver Spotlight Films. Yeah, we need so. to cover that soon. Yeah, yeah, I think we're going to cover that on the next episode. So uh, that, um, yeah. 
Yeah, that's another fantastic, you know, yeah, you guys are really, you know, those guys are really pumping stuff out, man. There's some awesome stuff happening out in Western PA in the Pennsylvania area. And let's not forget, we also want to have the, uh, maybe Dan and Tim from Drunken Yinzers to talk about their remake of... Blood Freak. Yeah, Blood Freak, the killer turkey movie. Yeah, we're going to try to shoot to get them on uh, November for do a little Thanksgiving uh, holiday episode and hopefully get those guys on and discuss Blood Freak. See how that Lots goes. Of cool stuff happening. Yep. All right. So uh, with all that, um, uh, what? So you recommend this film? Oh hell yeah! I mean, obviously it goes without saying. Yeah, we both recommend it, and it's fantastic. Uh, definitely go check it out. Um, it's worth buying, to be honest. Yeah. Um, these are the kind I mean, of you filmmakers can, that you know we you could track it down and watch it, but yeah, don't. Yeah, these don't, are the people don't. we need to give our Steve Zane people like this. We need to give our money to. Yeah, those are the guys that are are the hardworking guys right now in the business and Hollywood's still pumping out garbage left and right. So let's give it to the people that really need to need it and make decent films. Wait, you mean what? Rob Zombie, like remaking the monsters, isn't like going to be awesome. Oh, don't even get me started on that bullshit. <laughs> no, I don't think Rob Zombie's a bad filmmaker. He's made some decent films, but I mean, the things he's doing, like messing up Halloween and the monsters, like, come on, man, just create some of your own original stuff and put it out there. We got people like Zane doing Force the Fear, which is a million times better than pretty much almost any Rob Zombie film, <clears throat> aside from people are going to complain about uh, Devil's Rejects and House of Thousand Corpses, which I, those are good films, but I'm not a fan really of either one of those. Uh, Devil's anyway, Rejects. So don't at me. Don't at me, people. Yeah. Devil's Rejects. Devil's Rejects, my friend. And I don't say this lightly because I'm not a Rob Zombie fan, but Devil's Rejects, I don't know what sort of magical elixir he had, but between the music, the cast, and the way it's shot, it's a modern classic. He he yeah, somehow made I think it's, he somehow made a 1970s exploitation movie and got it into theaters in the 2000s. Don't know how that happened. Yeah, it's like uh, grunge gore, which is not my type of thing. But well, it's so. it's more. It, I didn't really enjoy that. Yeah, I didn't really enjoy enjoy it. I did watch it, watched it in the theater, as I do almost all horror movies. But I didn't. I was not a fan of it. Um, there was one specific scene in that film that really uh, annoyed me, and it's the part where he takes forever and it pans out and it shows the guy sitting there before he's standing there as the guy's kneeling down before he shoots him. It I, that drug that out way too long. That's one of the scenes i hate the most in in film but uh anyways people are probably gonna get pissed i said all that so uh we're gonna take a break real quick here and we're gonna head into our average joe report with my buddy joe germo the amazing tattoo artist out of uh, queen creek arizona so we're gonna take a break and we'll be right back after this come in walker Come in. It has been a long time, my friend. I got out, just like you. It took me years before I could sleep with both eyes closed, but I did it. And now some Russian scumbag has taken away everything that I held dear to me. You have public enemy number one after you, Ivan Latsevich. I want this other man. Walker's a one-man walking fucking army. Not the newspapers called him the angel of death.
the matter who did this. I'll find him and I'll kill him. And they'll remember what I trained you for. Do it your way. The Average Joe Report. And we're back at the In the Mouth of Monster podcast, heading into our Average Joe segment here with my buddy, uh, Drew Germo. And normally we have him review uh, something old or new or something somebody sent to us, and we're going to have him review today uh, the sequel to the Karis Hell movie, Karis Hell II, uh, directed by Steve Rosinski, who we had on on a previous episode. So if you haven't checked that episode out, go back and listen to that, and you can get all the details on this film he, Joe's about to uh, review here. So let me give a little plot synopsis. So basically, Duke from the first one, the Karis Hell unicorn uh, that magically came to life, is back this time, and he has a son named Robbie. And Nazis that built him are after him this time. Basically, they kidnap Robbie to try and get you know their hands on Duke, and and Duke goes on you know goes on a quest to save his son. And that's the basic plot. There's really not too much to the story, although um, spoilers with the ending of it, we're going to get uh, more to the story. We're going to find out a lot more. So uh, what did you think about it, uh, Carousel 2, Joe? I did like Carousel 2, not as much as the first one, but it was really fun because the villains were they were very classic, and it was kind of neat. Like the one dude was just changing disguises the whole time as he slowly lured them into the trap around the mid-game. So that was a lot of fun. The one-liners that Duke gave in the first one, they weren't as much in the second one, but it was really cool. The production of it was really fun. The characters were really fun. And it's just kind of an interesting movie to watch in the first place. I do think they focus too much on the story of Duke trying to be a dad and then, you know, that being the whole catalyst for the climax. I wish they would have focused more on the story of Duke and the Nazis and stuff like this, because they set up a really fun backstory that they could have touched on. But when you get to the climax and stuff like the the gore, everything was really fun to watch. It was just classic. It was excessive. The one liners were on point, like I said, and the music was always good, too. What did you think about the special effects, especially that um, part where the person starts melting? I I enjoyed the special effects. I liked how over the top all of it was, like the decapitation part where they ripped the the dude's arms off. The yeah. melting scene was really really crazy. It just it went on and on and on and on, and it was just sitting there watching it slowly deteriorate. They did good. I was wondering how difficult it was to even set up that scene in the first place for them to do, but I liked the way it went out, and I think it worked out well for them. Yeah, I like. How they, because you mentioned in ripping his arms off, the guy's arms off. I like how they use the hooves basically to like pull things and rip things apart. And it's like, but they're hooves, so he has no posable thumb or anything, so he can't grip things. But somehow right. he's still able to rip arms off. I don't. I know. I, I, don't I love understand. how that's just like the underlying elephant in the room throughout the whole movie. He's just doing things, and you're like, how the hell are you doing that? We just accept it because that's what it is. <laughs> So uh, what would you think about the difference in the look between the two being that his son Robbie is half human, half, you know, unicorn, carousel unicorn? Right. I 
I, got, I went back and forth on that a lot, but I think it worked into what they were trying to convey, which was that borderline campy comedy kind of a feel to it all. And it was clearly a child and alive in a different way than them. It, it stood up on two legs rather than the four. It had the small horn, so you could tell it was still like adolescent. I I liked how they did it. And like I said, it worked out for what they were trying to express with it. Yeah, I thought it was great because the um, it, just the facial movements and, you know, the mouth moving, the eyes moving, it just yeah. so creepy. So, I it, mean, if you were to see that out on Halloween or when you're walking around, you, I mean, you'd freak out. Right. The thing was creepy. I will give it that. It was just that, yeah, weird haunted house style ventriloquist yeah. dummy kind of a creepy. Is there anything you didn't like about the film? Like I said, um, I think just the story... Um, the focus should have been shifted a little bit instead of focusing too much on Duke building his relationship with Ravi. I think they could have done a little more on how Duke became a carousel horse, which they briefly touched on what that serum is and, you know, that they were all injected with a little more on the, just the overall plot, I guess, could have been explained a little bit more. Yeah, which um, for those of you who have uh, seen it or, you know, spoilers if you haven't, but they are going to have a, a third film to it, which is going to explain more to us about who Duke is and where he actually came. So it should be oh. fun. Okay, cool. Because I had that same thought at the very end when he was driving off and I was thinking it was just that, um, you know, episode two kind of filler-ish where it gives you this interesting backstory, shows a little more of a compassion and a different side of the main character. And I had kind of expected something along the lines of yeah, a we, final uh, conclusion to it all. Yeah, we interviewed Steve and he uh, said that he had plans for a trilogy. And he said, and after that, after he wraps up that story arc, he said he is happy to do six, seven, eight, nine carousel movies. So <laughs> That we, would be fun. Yeah, we got a lot cool. coming. So, and yeah, I'm I'm surprised to see see what he you know he comes up with later on. Um, Be interesting. I thought this kind of lacked a little bit too in the story area, being that you know, the difference between the two is like this. The first one's more of a slasher film, to whereas this one's even though there are kills in it and stuff, it's not necessarily a slasher type film this time around. So, right. It wasn't as um, captivating as the first one. I mean, it but, wasn't bad by any means, but it yeah, the first one just it sets a mood right you just you're sitting there watching it i was trying to make lunches i was packing my kids lunches while i was watching it and i just couldn't do both at the same time the first one yeah oh yeah but knowing that it's just part two of a trilogy like that changes the whole aspect of the story and why they touched on it and that makes a lot more sense yeah yeah, because i mean i did find it a a tad slow in areas being that it was more of a dad type thing but you know right trying to mentor his son that now he has a son which is uh that thing is just so creepy man i can't help it, it really him. was but um <laughs> and steve steve said that when we interviewed him he, he said when you see it man he's like that that face when it moves and stuff it's just it's it's you know insane <laughs> i'm curious to see like what stage he'll be in in the trilogy yeah or if we have more if we have any more horses coming out or right like how cool would it be to see sorry unicorns right how cool would it be to see just carousels everywhere just growing sentient and just armies (laughs) yeah would you recommend this movie to anybody 
Yes, definitely. Very. Like, it's such a one-off. It's unique. It's fantastic. Like, I would recommend both of them. Just, it's something to watch. It's something to enjoy. It's something nobody has ever seen before. Yeah, and you've never seen anything like these, have you? You never come across these campy, weird uh, type, slasher type films. Oh, I come across random ones all the time, but yeah, okay. I've never seen this one. This one's really cool, and this whole concept of it is, um, I don't watch a, a whole lot of them, but um, I love them. They're really fun, and most of these I probably would have never found out about without, you know, doing this podcast with you. Yeah, hey, that's that's why I wanted you on here because I figured you know we get an honest opinion from you as opposed to nerds like me who you know know all the stuff that's coming out and <laughs> and is exactly. on top of it all. Uh, like I, I I pay attention to the culture, but I'm not anywhere ne- nearly as deeply ingrained in it as you are. I don't know the deep cuts, you know. I just see the stuff that makes it through all the filters. Yeah, which you know we're recording this uh, this part of the podcast now, but. You um, got to actually watch the movie before it was actually released, so I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, it's, it's your your first one to get to watch before it's actually released, so, you know, hey, you're joining the club here, so. That's <laughs> neat, man. Happy to be here. <laughs> All right, man. Well, um, I appreciate your uh, review here and looking forward to the next one. Um, we're going to have you on uh, one more episode here before we uh, head to our holiday breaks, um, our holiday shows, basically, that we're going to where we kind of drop the format and just uh, talk basically Halloween and horror at first for October. And then we got a couple special things lined up for um, November and December for those holidays as well. But um, thank you, man. And looking forward to your next one and um, appreciate you coming on again and dropping a little review here. You too, man. Thanks for having me. I always enjoy doing this. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll head into our feature interview. So we'll be right back after this trailer. This Halloween, the pretty girl next door wants to invite you in for a treat. Or a trick. Witch Tales. Someone who doesn't bite. with the monster and we're back at the in the mouth of monster podcast and we're heading into our feature interview and today we have a special guest with us 
um, producer, writer, and director uh, Mike uh, Lydon. Is that how you say your last name? Uh, it's Lydon or Lydon. I'm really flexible with that. <laughs> awesome. I, I'm horrible with names, so I, I butcher stuff, so forgive me. <laughs> uh, it's, it's all right. I mean, some people have actually called me Mike Landon. If, I don't know how they got that out of, yeah. out of that, but they, they have done that. So Lydon is much better. Hey, I, I did like Michael Landon, though. He's a good actor. Uh, yeah, I know. I, <laughs> as, a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I used to be a janitor at a hospital many years ago, and they paged me one day saying, Michael Landon, Michael, and all of the nurses came to the front desk because <laughs> they thought it was Michael Landon that was going to come there. And it was, of course, just me. Uh, so <laughs> that was kind that was of great. Yes, yes. Great. So where are you from originally? Well, uh, I'm original. Actually, I was born in Denver, Colorado, but uh, I was oh. only I was only there for a year, though. So it doesn't really, you know, in the in the course yeah. of my life, it doesn't really add up to that much. But. My dad worked for NASA and Rockwell. He was a, an electrical engineer. And so we ended up moving around a bit. And uh, I can say that my formative years were first from, you know, like in grade school. I was uh, living in Mississippi on the Gulf Coast, uh, Long Beach, Mississippi. And then we moved to California, to Lancaster, California, which is about 70 miles north of Los Angeles, you know, so that, and that was my teen years. And then, geez, when I moved out of the house, I moved down to Los Angeles. I lived there for about 10 years before returning to the South, to New Orleans, where everything started happening film-wise, you know? So that was the yeah. ninth, when I came back to, to New Orleans, uh, that's when the whole film, the feature film thing really started. Yeah, how did you become involved in film, and um, how did you get into the genre? Genre? Did you you're just attracted to horror films, or? Yeah, well, as as I think, like you guys, as a kid, it was kind of like science fiction and horror. You know, that was my thing. Oh, yeah. I loved watching oh, yeah. the movies. Uh, I mean, and when I was a kid, now this is dating me a bit because I'm in my fifties. When I was a kid, we used to have like you know creature feature films like every Saturday on TV, you know, when it was actually TV and you had yeah. like, you had like 13 stations. <laughs> um, yeah. Mike, I'm, I'm actually of a, a similar vintage. I'm, I'm older too. And yeah, every Saturday we had a local horror host. We had one on Friday night and we had another one on Saturday afternoon. So there you, you go. Guide and figured out what your weekend was going to be. Right, right, exactly. And, you know, and, and so like even growing up, like in, you know, my teen and, and when I was an adult, of course, I just continued watching, like, for instance, when I was living in Los Angeles, Elvira was really big. You know what oh, I'm yeah. saying? I mean, she was just, that was just like the, the thing, you know, there. And when I moved back to New Orleans, it was this guy called Morgus, Morgus the Magnificent. This guy, he was a horror host for many years in New Orleans. Very funny, really hilarious show. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing I think growing up and getting, you know, like getting really excited about 
science fiction and horror films and B movies, you know, cult films, because there was a lot of that. Uh, you know, <laughs> some of these movies, okay. uh, it's incredible when you think about how the dynamics have changed. You know, when I was a kid, people would make these films like just schlocky films. And of course, they were shot on film, but they would inevitably make money because the, the, the releases were so rare. You know, I mean, you could get theatrical release. For example, a great example was the uh, the Jack Hill film. Well, it actually was the Dennis Muren film, uh, Equinox. You guys remember that film? It was, oh, yeah, it, Equinox. Yeah, late 60s film that was redone by Jack. It was Jack Hill or Jack Harris, one of the two guys. He put more money into it. They re-released it in 1970. But this was a $6,000 movie. That was released theatrically to like a hundred theaters across the United States. That would oh. never happen today. Yeah. It did no, not happen. Not. Yeah. Well, partially, don't you think that's because we lost all those great mom and pop theaters and drive-ins? Yes. That had to program whatever was coming. Yes, and you know that's kind of it's funny. It's, you know the thing with drive-ins now. I mean, when I was a kid, we had drive-ins. Yep, me too. It was just a thing, man. We would go you know, do the whole drive-in thing, and it was a totally different world. You know, I, I, I it's just kind of, it's hard to really imagine, like, years later after the drive-ins were pretty much gone, like, let's say into the 90s, early 2000s, that was it. You, you know, Joe Bob Briggs, okay? Oh, yeah. yeah, okay, he would write an article. He, he wrote, I, it may have been called something like The Last Drive-In or something it was it was actually an article that he used to write and he he was a big proponent of drive-ins he was the guy that was just like you know he was freaking out when they started you know closing up that was it was just it was a horrible thing because that was just part of it was kind of like a cultural and social thing if you think about it like okay today we have social media well, back then, the drive-in was a huge social gathering place. You could go and meet your friends there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole thing, whatever. It was just, it was one of those things that it, it was kind of in, in, integral to the, especially to the cult film and the horror and science fiction film culture. Can that I was, yeah, huge. can I? I I just ask you a question to see if your experience is the same as mine. Yeah. I remember like there were, there was a serious difference in crowds. You would have people show up for the first feature and around here, the first feature was always like the big movie. Yeah. And then you'd have people that were there and they would, and you'd be happy to see the families and the normies go because then you were there for the second and third feature sometimes. And that's where, you know, you see Skate Town USA <laughs> yeah. or, or some crazy messed up 70s. What the hell were they thinking movie? Right. You know, Bill, Bill Rebane from up in, um, I think, Wisconsin. Man, he lived on that. That's what he cranked out crap for that second feature all the time. Yes. And they made a mint. Yep. I mean, they were just. It was insane, like the, you could literally, I mean, and I'm not espousing the idea of like just making crap for the sake of making money, 
because it, it is a terrible thing. But some of those crappy, you know, so so-called crappy films were actually pretty amusing. Well, I mean, like it's because they're just, fun. Yeah, right? exactly. There's a, there's a spirit behind it. You're they're trying to make a good movie and they just can't get there. Right. Or or it's just so bad. Like like you're just wondering like. Where the camera guy is, is he actually there? <laughs> is there a director? Is the guy, is it, you know, yeah, right. I mean, just incredible stuff. Like, you know, a, a classic example of that is uh, Rock and Roll Nightmare. I don't yeah. know if you guys have seen that or one. Or what's his face, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was the guy. And like, it starts off, there's a 20 minute shot of them driving in a van down the road. Yeah, and it's just a shot of the van driving down the road. I, you know, you're just like, what? <laughs> so I, I, I'm a huge fan of that, and, and we've lost this. Really, it's starting to come back a little bit with with how easy the technology is making things. But I love regional filmmakers. I love the guys that were shooting. Like Bill Rebane was a regional filmmaker. Um, yeah, you know, and these guys who were just kind of doing it. Um, and I. It's just, it's so awesome. I mean, yeah. okay, fine. The entire scene has like, you know, a foot and a half of the boom mic in it. All right, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, well, that, and you know, that, that you're absolutely right. And a perfect example of that was Don Dollar. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, and Don Dollar, I think, was a great filmmaker. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm not really, he, he made his films, you know, you either like him or hate him, but that DIY philosophy was just amazing with it and he was totally a regional filmmaker right he was baltimore he oh, was yeah. you know that whole region up there a kind of kind of like uh the great oh my god i can't believe i'm who was the, uh, the guy that did the comedy films like you know pink flamingos john waters oh john waters yeah god, he was also a baltimore you know dude like he, he would he made yeah. his film as a matter of fact some of those guys intermingled and he like George Stover, who <laughs> who was one of those actors in a lot of the Don Dollar films, was an actor in a few of John Waters movies yep. and so forth. So that I, I totally agree. There there are those regional filmmakers that and not only that, but Don Dollar, of course, made the great magazine. Probably, I think his greatest achievement in film was Cinemagic. Cinemagic magazine was the do-it-yourself magazine where he showed you how to do effects, special effects, and and just basically it was the art of low-budget garage filmmaking. Yeah, and, and if you get a chance, check out some of those issues. You know, Starlog magazine picked it up after the first ten issues. They picked it up, and it lasted another. I think it was thirty-five issues, if I'm not not mistaken. But it was, I still have like 20 or so copies of it. And I still refer to that <laughs> to this day, you know, is when I'm making a film, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I need to, I want to do this effect. I wonder how Don Dollar did it. <laughs> so right. th there you go, man. You know, uh, just, just fantastic stuff. I, I really, really uh, love the idea of now that you're talking about regional filmmakers, there are just all over the. Well, you have like you know George Romero. Oh yeah, Romero is a film. Yep, 
Uh, yeah. That's actually right in my backyard here. Um, I live in Ohio, but oh, okay. two hours from where crazies and where night of oh. living dead i i've actually been to all the locations i was actually all wow. three where they shot day yeah love it oh my god that's fantastic yeah well you know that's and, and of course they shot uh, a bit of day of the dead here in florida yep uh you know and but uh yeah the that was one of the things i was just talking to somebody about night of the living dead uh of, of like a week ago i mean it could have been dale actually but that film it's still i consider it probably the greatest zombie film ever made and and it could be i think it would be like in the top 10 horror films personally for me of all time uh simply because of the fact that you've got you know you can watch it now and go well it's a little tame but i can tell you that when it came out when i saw it as a kid it scared the shit out of me i mean it, it was really it was scary I, I I agree with you 100. percent And the funny part is, is that uh, I anytime I show it to a new person, because I love I love showing them like that in Chainsaw Massacre, yes. Halloween for the first time when I got a, when I got a horror version. But that ending for Night of the Living Dead, where they think it's gonna end one way, uh, yeah. and Ben hits the floor, you know, yeah. here you got 50 plus years later. That's still. They look at me like, why the hell would you show me this? That's so upsetting. <laughs> oh, that's that's my favorite ending of, of any horror film of all yes. time. I just I, like so I'm a writer and I write a bunch of, you know, I'm an author. I write a bunch of stories and stuff. And a lot of times I use that as as my ending for my stories of basically just kill everybody. Um, right. You know, nobody survives. Um, yeah. You know, that's. I thought that was the most impactful ending I've ever seen because you root for the guy the entire night just to find out at the very end that he dies. And so I know, like, he, what the hell? What did I yeah. watch the movie for? You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's yeah, he's the sane one, right? He's the one yeah. that should live. And you know, and he was going to do that in Dawn of the Dead. He was going to yeah. have those people die, but <laughs> but he luckily, and I'm so glad he did because that would have just been like, oh, come on, man. You know, you got to have something. You got to have something heroic. Ken Forhey got to be the first black guy to not die in a horror movie. He was literally, I mean, he was, he was, he was the Dwayne Jones, kind of, but he was the dude that actually lived. He kind of snapped out of it at the end. He was going to kill himself, you know, but he was like, well, what am I doing? (laughs) And then, of course, he becomes, he essentially the hero although the female character was also the heroine they were both like they were the two you know they were the ones that well they they lived they lived to tell the tale and you know that's what's great about dawn of the dead though which is actually my personal favorite movie period um i i I managed to convince my wife to spend both our 15th and our 20th (laughs) wedding anniversary at monroeville mall oh that's great but yeah. but yeah, the fact that it's you're kind of like, well, who is the hero of the movie? Well, I guess it's just it's one of those films that is you really they lived, but are they really the hero? I don't know, you know. It's <laughs> yeah, it's awesome, absolutely genius. Um, yeah, I, have, I, I need to ask you a question. Yes. Do you mind if I jump in here, monster? Oh, oh yeah, go ahead. So I am a giant. Since we're talking about this stuff, I'm a giant. Uh, and I haven't actually seen First Man on Mars yet, but I'm a huge fan of like that 50s monster movie, 
um, you know, astronaut coming back, something wrong with them, you know. Yes. Was that an inspiration for First Man on Mars? Can you talk a little bit about it? Because um, I'm hooked. I just saw the screenshots and stuff in preparation for the interview, and I'm like, I'm I'm going to have to find to watch this. Oh, and oh, more importantly, me. where can I find to watch it? Where is it at? Right. It is on Tubi. It's on Tubi TV. Okay. As a matter of fact, I sent you guys a filmography, and it's yeah. got the direct link in there. Wonderful. To, oh, to I will be checking that out. Well, it, there's a couple of things about, yeah, you're absolutely right. First Man on Mar Mars was, was a uh, kind of a, my homage to First Man in Space, which was a late 50s film about an astronaut that goes into space. He encounters something. He comes back and he becomes like this creature. He's like this monster, kind, kind of like a monster, although it ends very downbeat. And I mean, I highly recommend it. It is that's, a great, great film. That's the one, what was it like in Florida? And he's, and they're on a base and he's like outside or something. I can't, there's one like that, I remember. Uh, yeah, there, there's, that's Night of the Blood Beast. There you go. Okay. Yeah, and, and that was, yeah, where he's like a, he's kind of a funny looking monster. Yeah. <laughs> no, this one, he is just, he's kind of screwed up looking, but he totally looks human. It almost looks like, he looks like he's incredibly badly burned. And uh, and it's uh, Marshall Thompson stars in it. And it's just a really, it's a very, it's kind of a, it's a downbeat, very sad, grim film. And uh, I always loved that film. And of course, of course, I love The Incredible Melting Man. Yeah, okay. Okay, The Incredible oh. Melting Man is a 70s film. And so... I was that and that was really a big, big influence on First Man on Mars. You know, you got your classic drive in film, essentially uh, science fiction film. And I mean, I know people hate that film, but I really like it. And I think the special makeup effects were fantastic. I mean, that was that was uh, literally that was not Rob Bottin. Who's the other guy? <laughs> Who was the guy that uh, taught Rod, Rob Bottin? The guy, he, he did the effects for the thing. I'm just totally blanking. Oh. Uh, uh, you sure, know. You know the name, too, and I'm blanking, too. Uh, it was uh, the, the guy. Yeah, I just can't. In any case, that guy, he did the, he, that was his first job doing, uh, you know, the effects, the special makeup effects for, uh, the uh, the incredible melting man and uh, i just love those effects you know it was just so it was it was pretty pretty sick but there was something about that movie that you know of course there's some unintentional comedy in the film and so forth but i just you, always liked it you know were you uh, talking about roy arbogast not Roy Arbogast. I, I can't believe that I am... Okay, who who did the effects for American Werewolf in London? Oh, uh, Rick Baker, right? Yeah, wasn't it Rick Baker? That, I, it was Rick Baker that did the Incredible Yeah, Rick Baker Man. did the creature design, yep. Yep, he did. And the yep, guy Rick is Baker. like, every time you see him, he's melting more and more, and it just worked like a charm. Uh, and so Bo actually worked on it too, dude. I, I, I believe so. I think he was like his his assistant because 
for a long time, you know, of course, Baker was teaching Botin there, you know, uh, the tricks of the trade and everything. And so it was it was really that combination. So it was kind of a weird fusion of 1970s and 1950s uh, films. That's what First Man on Mars is. And it is definitely by design a horror comedy. But there are some interesting things in it. It, uh, it's uh, as far as like, uh, how should I say, mm, like dark humor, not just not just like go for the laughs kind of stuff. But there's definitely some things in there that are kind of like uh, uh, you might call it social commentary type of stuff. Okay. Uh, and so so it's got that, but it doesn't hit you over the head with it or anything, but it's in, you know, just like. Just like The Incredible Melting Man, all of those, as you guys know, if you watch 1970s sci-fi and horror films, there is so much social commentary in those films. Either it was like eco-disaster, you know, with whatever creatures or insects that are attacking and so forth, uh, or something else, uh, nuclear war, whatever. Yeah, it's it's always like we did something to ourselves, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and so much. Empire of the Ant, stuff like that. Yes, yeah. yes, precisely. And and that has, a, there is a bit of that in First Man on Mars. That's what I'm getting at. Except, of course, largely it is a horror comedy. So, I mean, it, it's got, I was going for, a, there's a lot of things in it, a lot of little references and so forth. And I was very proud to have shot that film on film we shot it on 16 millimeter so there you go and it has that look too it really does have that look just like you know uh texas chainsaw massacre 16 millimeter man a lot of those films so, uh, love can you tell us a little bit about um howlingearth.com and what that's about yeah howlingearth.com was a project that uh, i i was living in washington state for a while, I took I, I decided I got a I started studying to be a like a, a how do you call it? Well, an assistant veterinarian, because I what I wanted to do was go and work at an animal shelter as an assistant veterinarian, you know, and uh, so I was doing that. And I at, at the end of that, the the the, stu- the I studied for a year. I took like three classes learned enough, you know, just to, to get into, to be able to get into a, an animal shelter and assist the veterinarians there, you know, with shots and surgeries and stuff like that. And so what I decided to do was I, I, at the time, this was uh, 2005. Okay. And I, I ended up driving down to my dad's house in Mississippi to in order to leave my van there and then and then take a bus down to Miami to get a plane flight over to Venezuela because that's where I was going to volunteer in this animal shelter in Venezuela and it was a weird thing man two week uh, well less than 2 weeks after I arrived in Mississippi that's when Katrina hit and we were right in the the literally the we were in the epicenter. It was Bay St. Louis that got hit directly. 
I mean, it just got flat. It was, it was bad. It was really bad. So what, what ended up happening is I did get down to Miami. I was able to get down to Miami and, and fly over to Venezuela and, you know, and volunteer at this animal shelter for sick. For, well, actually, the volunteering was three months. I had five months there. So I volunteered for three months. And for two months, I decided I was going to kind of just travel around Venezuela and see what was going on, you know. And I met up with these guys, these British guys. And uh, we started, we were just noticing that the street musicians in Venezuela were just kick ass. They were insane. They were so good. And we decided, hey, you know what? I mean, I make films. I, I've got my video camera and stuff. And this other guy had his video camera. So we kind of made this pact for the next two years where we would meet somewhere in South America. And for five or six months, we would shoot these videos, these music videos live in the streets of all these musicians, buskers, as they call them and so forth, and uh, make this, this, uh, uh, this website called Howling Earth. And that's, uh, that's what the Howling Earth is. It is literally just a ton of videos we shot of these uh, uh, musicians. And we would typically, what we do is we just pay them. We pay them up front. I mean, it's one of those things, man. You know, you get a ton of people filming these guys, and some of these guys are total pro level. I mean, like, you wouldn't even believe it. And uh, they're not getting – these people just come in, and they film them, and they don't care. So our thing was like, yeah, we're going to pay them, and we're going to get their permission to put videos on our website. And that was the entire plan. That was the the whole thing of it to show people these. I mean, we didn't know. We had no idea that this music was happening in South America. And yeah. if you go to that site, just pretty much play any of those videos. <laughs> yeah, you will not even believe it. Uh, these guys, it's just music there is taken. As far as I'm concerned, I think it's taken much more seriously than, for instance, here in the U.S., if you go to, I don't know, go to New Orleans, go to Bourbon Street, whatever, see some people, you know, playing music. And a lot of them are good. There's no doubt. But I've never seen anything like what I saw in South America. The, the, ev everywhere from Venezuela to Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia, where that was our main area of concentration, th those, those countries. And so what we did is as I was saying, we'd go down there for five or six months. I'd come back to uh, Mississippi and work. I so I'd work for six months as a house painter, a painting contractor, make the money, get enough money to go back down there for five or six more months. And so we did this for two, almost two and a half years. Yeah, the result is HowlingEarth.com. From from there, how did you move to uh, Real Progress uh, LLC? And can you tell us a little bit about that too? Yeah, actually, that existed before Real Progress. Oh, okay. uh, I, I I created in 1997, and it it was always my film thing. It was I I was like, okay, it was one of those weird things. Maybe you could call it luck or whatever. When the internet was really hitting, that was the the late 90s. It really started to just oh, yeah. just go nuts. And I got in on it. And so I immediately 
was started doing, I was selling videos, books, whatever, whoever was selling stuff that I could make money off of, I was selling it. That's, that's basically what it was. And it was just going nuts. So I was doing really well for, for several years there doing that. And uh, Real Progress became my umbrella company for, you know, selling the books and the videos and making movies, you know. Uh, so there you go. And it was during that time, 1999, 2000, 2001, where I made Night for Nixie. And that's another, it's a really weird, low-budget sci-fi horror film that I made in Washington State a few years before I ended up going back down south. And this film is, it's available still on DVD on Amazon. It is not on streaming, and I'm going to fix that. I think I'm going to put it on Tubi pretty soon. This is something that I should, I should say this because I don't know if you guys are aware of it or not. And this would be great for, for the audience, too, for anybody, for any filmmakers listening, because this is just a recent development. Tubi uh, used to be, you used to go, have to go through an aggregator. So you would have to have a distributor of some sort to get your movie on Tubi. Well, they have changed that. You can actually go directly to Tubi with your own movie and put it up there. Uh-huh. And this is something for it is it, because Tubi is huge. Yeah, it is oh yeah. like uh, you you guys if you if you've ever perused the movies, <laughs> it's just incredible. Oh, I mean, yeah. in many ways, as far as indie films go, they put every other platform to shame. Uh, in my opinion, I've never seen so yeah, many I indie agree. films. I agree. Yeah, they have a lot of good stuff on there. I, I found that recently. Um, we do another podcast, me and John, called The Shitty Shark Show, and we've you know reviewed a bunch of shark movies from Tubi too. So oh. they, have good, they have a lot of good stuff on there. So they they do. They've got. I bet they have like what two dozen shark movies. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's there's one that's coming up that we're gonna. I'm gonna have the guys review, and they're not gonna like me after we review it. But I I can't help it. I I want to have us review it. I don't care how crappy it is. But yeah. Uh, so which, uh, which 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 one is it? Uh, is well, it? I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. Uh, Swim as starring Joey Lawrence. Ah uh, yes. I've heard yeah. it was one of the crappiest shark movies Son of a bitch. they've ever made. But. It could be. It could be, man. And we'll, and we'll look, find out. When we're, yeah, you you guys know how those shark movies go, right? I mean, it's just it's a CGI model. They've got one model. They just make, keep making it like like Asylum. They just yeah. keep making these freaking shark movies because it takes nothing to animate these things. Oh yeah, it's one of the easiest ones to do. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know, so you got this insane amount of really really bad shark movies. Uh, you know, and well, Tubi's got a lot of them. I gotta, I gotta so, say that, um, but you know. So, can you tell me a little bit about the Ghost Clinic Films, which is uh, a documentary branch of the Real Progress LLC? Is that correct? Yes, yes, that is correct, and that's pretty new because I just, I recently finished my first documentary film called Haunted Thrills, and. Yeah. Yeah, Haunted Thrills is a, it's kind of an offshoot of Witch Tales. So I shot Witch Tales in Peru when I was living in Peru with my ex-wife. 
we ended up making witch tales and it was you know one of those things where witch tales is based upon uh stories from those pre-code horror comics yeah. you know okay and i love those i'm just like it, they just they're, they're just so great you know i have i have some originals most of what i have are reprints oh. because they're so damn expensive the original comics you know but i just i love those so i made the movie and then <clears throat> i was like well this isn't good enough i need to make a documentary to tell people about all of these crazy pre-code comics that they've never heard of before you know everybody knows tales from the crypt ec comics that's oh, yeah. just big but people do not know what is they i have in store for them with with haunted thrills it is a totally different world and it like, happened at the same Charlton time and stuff like that yeah exactly you got yeah. it Char Char yeah, nobody nobody knows about those nobody no. talks about like everybody's like all and i love ec but i'm with you there were there were some charlton books yeah actually there was even some dc books that were pretty damn good yes yes dc had some great stuff even atlas marvel yeah had some really great stuff but it, and there were like these people like i've got some collections like for instance from there there was another publisher stanley morris and i really cover a lot of stanley morris in there because he did some of the craziest stuff i think ever in these in these uh, pre-code he did uh, weird weird chills was one of the the, the ones Oh but, yeah, those books are legendary. Yeah, yeah. So and the and the covers are just like extreme. I mean, seriously, uh, you know, you had uh, and, and not only the horror stuff at the time, but also some of the crime comics, mm -hmm. uh, which were just like you see some of the covers, you're just like, okay, yeah, this is why the Comics Code Authority <laughs> oh, said yeah. that this is why it happened. This is it's exactly because they saw eight year old kids picking up a, you know, a, a, a comic book where this guy's like holding a severed, uh, the severed head of a lady and he's got like a bloody machete, you know, and it's like, OK, yeah. Wasn't the famous one where they were playing baseball with the guy and his intestines were like the infield line and stuff? Well, that was an EC comic. Yeah, that was yes. wasn't that the one they took to Congress. And went, Look. Ah. Yes, there were like a dozen different ones that they used in Congress, and they were the uh, the uh, what was that the the uh, seduction of the innocent. Yeah, what, what was the book? And there was the 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 congressional hearings where they used a lot of these comic books, including that EC comic. They you know there was like, hey, look, this is what our the kids are <laughs> are are reading, and uh, yeah. of course. They didn't realize, you know, and a lot of these things were, I'm not saying they were written for adults, but adults were buying. them. I yeah. mean, dude, you know, people, teenagers, young adults and so forth, they were going in there. They were buying these comic books because they were so damn cool. I mean, are you kidding me? I would, you know, I, I when I was a kid, all of that was over, you know, in the 70s and 80s, what we had was eerie publications. And Erie Publications, they were the ones that put out the reprints of the pre-code horror comics in black and white. And they had these gruesome covers. They would have like uh, 
tales of voodoo and they would have like this vampire ripping the heart out of another vampire and throwing it at the head of a werewolf uncle creepy and all that good stuff oh yeah it was right along the same time creepy and airy magazine all that same type of thing you know i love i love the fact that the reason they were magazines is if they printed them on bigger formats they weren't they weren't under the comics code exactly it's just so ridiculous like we're reprinting the shit you banned we're gonna print it in a magazine format and sell it to the damn kids yes exactly yeah yeah those um oh go ahead oh i was just gonna say yeah that was like the whole idea in 1965 it was a race between warren who was doing eerie and creepy and this guy myron foss myron foss was he was also a pre-code comics artist in the 50s, but he he became a magazine mogul in the 60s. That guy was putting out over 100 titles a month during the 1960s. You know, the stuff like you would, those magazines would be like, aliens killed JFK. Yep. Stuff like yeah. that. That was him. He made millions of dollars in the 60s. And he decided, hey, I'm going to put out, I'm going to take all of these free public domain pre-code horror comics and reprint them and uh, make all of these magazines that's what he did you know it was the whole thing just put them out as cheaply as possible uh, with you know and be as sensationalistic as possible with those gruesome covers uh you know and bypass the comics code that was it i always thought it was funny amazing uh frank frazetta covers man Oh yeah, well, it's creepy and airy, yes. Yeah, oh man, some of those, some of those covers are just, I, you know, if I'd have been a kid and I'd have seen that sitting on a, sitting on a magazine rack, I'd have had to have it. Oh, totally. And that'll do it for this edition of In the Mouth of Monster for Joe Germo and John Schatzer. I'm Monster Dugan. Stay safe. Later. Later.